The other thing I want to point out about being able to use these CGM devices to get almost immediate feedback mm -hmm. uh, is that you can learn to level out your glucose because spikes in glucose lead to spikes in insulin. And as we talked about, insulin has more effects on the body than just monitoring and uh, regulating glucose. All right. Welcome back to part four of our four-part series on diabetes. I'm Maya Acosta, and this is a Healthy Lifestyle Solutions podcast. The segment with Dr. Riz is titled Doctor in the House. Welcome back, Dr. Riz. Thank you. We're going to basically wrap things up. I kind of want to do a quick review for all of you. If you haven't been tuning in to the Monday episodes, I recommend you visit Monday. Dr. Riz is the guest expert every Monday. Um, and so go back. I'm going to put links in the show notes so that you can visit part one, part two, part three of our series on diabetes. So part one, we basically define diabetes, type one, type two, pre-diabetes and gestational diabetes. And we talk about symptoms and risk factors. Uh, in part two, we talk about managing diabetes, the importance of early detection. Third part, we talk about lifestyle modifications that you can make, including changing your nutrition and adding physical exercise. We're just going to sort of wrap up, provide some resources for listeners. And then I'm going to give you a couple, I'm going to show you a couple of books that I recommend. It's such a huge topic. Uh, and, you know, we've we've had uh, kind of, this is our fourth episode on this topic, but and there's so much more that can be covered. But I think this is a great introduction uh, for people and it's a great uh, resource to get people started. And so I am actually going to start with uh, one that's very reliable. If you're watching the video, you're going to see me hold up Eric Adams' uh, book, and it's titled Healthy at Last. Okay. Do you want to say anything about Eric Adams before I read an excerpt from his book? I think uh, we met him at uh, one of the ACLM meetings pre-pandemic. He was a keynote speaker, and his story was fascinating. And at the time, I think he was uh, a president of one of the boroughs of New York. I thought it was fascinating that uh, we had someone who believed in the plant-based lifestyle and who's going to be uh, running for mayor of New York. And also uh, knowing that he was going to try to institute some healthy initiatives for the citizens of New York, which he has done since he's taken over as, as, as mayor. I want to read um, from his introduction. Eric Adams starts off by saying that uh, he was pretty much, you know, he was uh, the borough president for Brooklyn. He was 56 years old, felt like he was fairly healthy, doing well, until one day he woke up and he was blind. He went to look in the mirror, couldn't really see, but he saw that one of his eyes was bloodshot red. And he went to his doctor and we're going to talk about the A1C, hemoglobin A1C, but normally we want that to be less than 6.5. And when he went to his doctor, his doctor said he was at 17%. That's a very high number. In one of our earlier episodes, we talk about how people kind of default to process fast food because it's the easy thing and um, people com find comfort in those foods. So he said, as you know, having been first a police officer for many years in New York and the, or Brooklyn, and then um, president of the borough or the Brooklyn borough that somehow, you know, all the stress and the trauma that he suffered from living that lifestyle led him to pretty much every day on his way to work. And on his way home, he was stopped by one of the fast food restaurants. And he realized that what he was doing is that um, he was self-medicating. 
if that makes sense, you medicate with food. He said, I needed food that would take the edge off. And psychologists call this term vicarious trauma. It's also known as compassion fatigue. So there was tremendous anxiety that he was living with. And so in the book, not only does he share his story about his own recovery, his mother who had been living with uh, diabetes for 10 years also improved her diabetes. And then if you see all the tabs I have in the book, the second part of the book is full of delicious and healthy um, comfort food and also Southern food. And so I think you're going to really enjoy it, learning his story, knowing who he is today as uh, mayor of New York. I think it's pretty cool to to have had this. I might mention through changing his uh, lifestyle and particularly his nutrition, he was able to reverse his diabetes and clear up his blindness. Yes. As a matter of fact, he talks about when, when he lost weight, one of his partners said to him, um, I'm worried about you. And he said, well, I've lost X amount of pounds over the last 90 days since I adopted this way of living, but you're used to seeing a heavier part of me. Like that's become the norm for for you to see me this way, but he actually looks great. Another book I want to mention, if you want to continue to do your own research and all of that, is Mastering Diabetes. And these two individuals actually have type 1 diabetes and are thriving in life. And um, the foreword on this one is by Dr. Neil Barnard. And it's very detailed, goes into a lot of great information, and also has some recipes. What I wanted to add, Dr. Riz, that I don't know if we mentioned is that sometimes when people adopt this way of living, a plant-based diet, and they start to add starchy foods into their diet, they may actually see a little bit of a rise in their insulin resistance. And that's because the the blood sugar is still there. And so the body is you know, still adjusting to the changes, but you have to give your body time to make the change and you're going to see your blood sugar begin to normalize. So it's not like you want to give up on things right away. Yeah, I mean, I think when you make a, a change from our kind of standard American diet uh, to a healthier diet, uh, it does take time. It's not going to happen overnight. In fact, uh, when people do switch over to a whole food plant-based diet or predominantly whole food plant-based diet, uh, sometimes they'll say, oh, I felt worse. I felt, you know, for the, you know, I, when I started it for the first few days, I felt worse. And the reality and what I try to explain to them is that the reality is it's not the diet that's causing that. It's the actual withdrawal or toxicity uh, from the previous diet uh, that's causing them to feel bad. Yeah. And if they can break through that, uh, then they're going to start to feel better. Similarly, it takes some time, but not a lot uh, for the improvements in all of our biometrics to start occurring, blood pressure, cholesterol, uh, sugar levels, uh, and things like that. Yes. On my Thursday solo episodes, I cover concerns that people have. So I have a whole episode on protein, a whole episode on carbohydrates, and a whole episode on fiber. And um, and we talk about these things, um, for example, taking in fiber slowly, especially beans, as the gut bacteria is learning to break down some of those things that are happening. And then I did have a gut specialist on the show who talked about, you know, she treats SIBO. Uh, many times um, IBS is misdiagnosed when it's actually SIBO. And she was telling me that fermented foods, while they're great for us, we want fermented foods to feed our gut microbiome. If you're dealing with SIBO, it can actually aggravate that. So those, these little kind of complications, and I say little because 
they can be improved over time with the if you're working with the right um, specialist. But these kind of things cause people to give up on the diet. And so that's why we mentioned that hold on, you know, I'm going to also tell you about doctors that are available via telehealth. Um, so in this book, insulin resistance influences your risk for the development of a number of chronic health conditions in addition to diabetes. As I mentioned earlier in one of the episodes, uh, uh, insulin is a hormone, which it's one of its primary uh, issues that we've identified it as doing is regulating our blood sugar, mm -hmm. but it does do so many other things in the body. Uh, and so it's not just, uh, the insulin isn't just for blood sugar. Yeah. 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 The, this one's a great one. Dr. Michael Greger, who is also the founder of nutritionfacts.org, he wrote How Not to Die. There's a whole chapter on diabetes, How Not to Die from Diabetes. And so, and then half of the book is all about the foods that you should eat. He mentions the Daily Dozen. Also check out my Thursday episodes because I have a whole episode on the Daily Dozen and his recommendations. So this is another great book. There are lots of books. I mean, I can continue, but these are three great books to um, consider. And then I wanted to mention Dr. Riz. Um, I said in, a, in an earlier episode that we really encourage people to visit the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. It's one organization that we like to endorse. They have tons of resources by category, but if you're looking for a plant-based physician, that's where you'll find one. In the past, they have also offered eight-week classes called Fight Diabetes with Food, and we participated in those. We've been guests in those where it's literally every week on a Tuesday, you meet with a group of experts that help you to figure out how to meal plan, how to do groceries, what staples to have and all of that. Do you want to share anything about that experience? No, I think it's a wonderful resource that they do on a repeating basis. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, they have guest experts who uh, are able to con contribute to those topics. And they car carry, uh, they cover a wide range of topics. So it really is uh, applicable to the beginner. Uh, mm -hmm. So someone who wants to learn is that's a great place to start. And they have so many resources available. Yeah, exactly. So check that out. I want to mention a study conducted by Dr. Neil Barnard and his colleagues at the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. And what they found is uh, participants with type 2 diabetes who follow a low-fat vegan diet for 22 weeks experience significant improvements in blood sugar control, weight loss, and cholesterol levels compared to those who followed a conventional diabetes diet. So we're not just talking about, you know, yes, listen to your doctor, take your medications, but also, in addition to that, consider food as medicine. Absolutely. And uh, what I'd like to really point out about that study is that it was a whole food plant-based diet versus the diet recommended by the American Diabetes Association. Okay, yes. And um, in addition to that, um, we have seen that in short jumpstart programs, whether they're seven days or 10 days, and we've seen this in documentaries like Forks Over Knives, which is another movie, I, another resource that I recommend, Forks Over Knives, um, the Plant Pure Nation movie by uh, Nelson Campbell. There's also uh, the most recent one, From Food to Freedom. Uh, that one also shows a short 10-day study, and we have seen that within 10 days of 
only eating this way, not even exercising, but eating this way within 10 days, you can see improvements in your cholesterol, in your blood pressure, and in your blood sugar. Right. Well, and I think that's something that is extremely meaningful to me uh, and still surprises me to this day. Uh, after having uh, been whole food plant-based now for six going on seven years and uh, teaching this stuff, when you change your diet, you see changes, positive changes within mm -hmm. weeks. Mm -hmm. Okay, I, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, uh, and you see ex extremely significant positive changes. On the other hand, if all you do is take a pill, you number one, you don't see the same extent of changes. But number two, the pill isn't actually solving the problem. All the pill is doing is managing the disease. You still have the disease if mm -hmm. you're taking a pill. But if you change your lifestyle and you change your diet, you're actually improving uh, and even sometimes getting rid of the disease. Yeah. Exactly. This is wonderful. We've given you a lot of resources. Uh, I mentioned three books. I mentioned two documentaries, the website PCRM.org. That's the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Friends, we're going to take a pause right now for me to explain that while we were doing this recording, we accidentally touched the computer and our microphones were affected, at least mine. So from this point on, you will notice that I'm not connected to the main microphone, but the conversation was so valuable that I went ahead and kept the rest of the conversation. So you'll, again, notice a difference in the volume and the quality of the audio, but that's okay. Uh, you might just want to turn it up from this point on as we continue the conversation about diabetes. If you're living with type 2 diabetes, how often should you be checked for hemoglobin A1c? If you already have diagnosed diabetes, it's likely that your doctor is going to check your hemoglobin A1C every three to six months. Oh, wow. And we want our number to be less than 6.5%. Well, 6.5 is a, is a really good goal for someone with type 2 diabetes. Uh, that actually kind of gets you to what we call the pre-diabetic level. Okay. okay? Um, and non-diabetics have a hemoglobin A1C of 5.9 or less. Mm -hmm. Between 5.9 and 6.5 is that pre-diabetic level, and then above 6.5 is diabetes. And then you can see a variety of levels above 6.5, depending on how well or how poorly controlled your diabetes is. Okay. Oftentimes, many physicians will shoot for a goal of 7, uh, depending on the extent. If you've got a diabetic, uh, let's just say like, uh, like Eric Adams, who came in with a hemoglobin A1C of 17, and you get him down to 7, you've committed a miracle. Mm, okay. okay. Uh, and so, uh, you know, there's just different, there's different goals. And I think these are achievable uh, if uh, people uh, are aggressive in their lifestyle changes and in monitoring and making the right choices based on what they find. Okay. And that might be actually a good uh, segue into monitoring. Uh, yes, it really is. And I just, before we talk about daily monitoring, can you explain again, Hemoglobin A1C, what is that? What is it telling us? Because that's a little different than the daily blood sugar. Yeah. So the daily blood sugar just tells us what is the level of sugar or glucose in specific, specifically in our blood. And the glucose in our blood varies up and down all day long based on what we're eating and then absorbing through our intestines. And then 
it gets into our bloodstream, then we release insulin, and then that causes it to go into our organs. Um, and so uh, the blood sugar might vary at various times from 70 to 200, depending on what just happened. If you just ate a, uh, uh, a meal, it could be 180, 200. Um, or if you've been fasting overnight, it could be less than 100. So when we, when we test, typically test for uh, a glucose level, we ask people to do a fasting test. Mm -hmm. And we, uh, so we'll say, don't eat anything overnight. And before you eat anything in the morning, we'd like you to come in and get your glucose tested. Okay. For that person, the blood sugar should be less than 100. Okay. If it's over 100, then that's a sign that, that there may be some sort of diabetic issue going on. And then that'll lead to further testing. Okay. Now the hemoglobin A1C is an indication of what your blood sugar level has been over the last three months. So what we're actually doing is testing the glycosylated hemoglobin, which means what is the sugar that has attached, attached itself to the hemoglobin in your blood? Okay. Okay. And so we know that a normal person with the normal blood sugar has a certain percentage uh, over time. Okay. And the reason we use 90 days uh, uh, for uh, testing is because red blood cells recycle every 90 days. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it doesn't do any good to check a, a hemoglobin A1C every month I because see. you still have red blood cells from two months ago, which might have had a high blood sugar. Okay. So when you make changes, you need to wait about 90 days before retesting to see the impact of those changes. And so a hemoglobin A1C uh, is uh, reflective of what's the last 90 days of glucose exposure okay. within the blood. I see. That really helps us to understand. And then you were going to move on to sort of a daily monitoring system. So monitoring in general. Okay. So that's where monitoring comes in. Feedback allows you to make choices. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you don't, if you don't have anything to give you feedback, then how do you know that the choices that you're making mm -hmm. are positively or negatively impactful upon your blood sugar okay. uh, and your diabetes? So uh, some people prick their finger every day. Okay. And they get a blood sugar and they can check them at different times and based on, okay, so they say they ate a certain type of lunch and then they check their blood sugar two hours later and they see what their blood sugar is. And then now they know what kind of effect that lunch has. Yeah. And then the next time they eat a different type of lunch and they prick their finger and check their blood sugar and, and, and you might get a different impact. And you begin to learn uh, what different types of foods have different impacts on your blood sugar. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we also know this scientifically. Uh, that's why you can do a lot of reading. And already you don't have to prick your finger every time to figure these things out. You already have a lot of data and information available in these resources that you've provided. Uh, that tell people what are the good foods to eat in order to control your blood sugar better. So that's the finger pricking method. Now there's uh, the, the hemoglobin A1C, as we said, tells you how well you've done over a three-month period. Mm -hmm. Okay. But then something I really like is something called CGM, Continuous Glucose Monitoring. And these are relatively new devices. They've been around for a few years. And basically, uh, and, and, and many of you out there may have seen this where there's a little circular device that's on the back of somebody's arm or maybe on their belly um, or on the back of their shoulder. Uh, depending on the device, there's different places you can put it. 
And what that does is it's continuously sampling your interstitial fluid glucose. And that's directly uh, related to your uh, blood vessel glucose. Okay. And so then you get continuous readings. So you can check that every minute. You can check it every hour. You can check it. You can eat a meal uh, and check it. You can see what your morning coffee and muffin does uh, versus oatmeal and what it does. And you can get really great feedback on a, on a very quick basis uh, on what different uh, di uh, diet dietary changes do to your blood glucose. Uh, and then you can learn to control your blood glucose better uh, and keep it down. The reason I like it is you don't have to stick your finger all the time. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, the, and, and when I've, I've done the math, if somebody sticks their finger four or five or six times a day, uh, that ends up costing nearly the same as CGM the devices. The continuous yes. monitoring system. I think for very much the same price or maybe just a little bit more, uh, you can have this really wonderful tool that's available to you. And, and, and insurances do cover this for diabetics. They do? Absolutely. Now, it may not cover the entire cost, but it can offset a significant amount. Like, for example, I know that there's uh, this one device that a one-month uh, monitoring costs $75. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, the diabetic supplies for a month may run you $75. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, that uh, for me, the convenience of not sticking my finger would uh, trump that and I would want a CGM device. The other thing I, I, I want to point out about being able to use these CGM devices to get almost immediate feedback mm -hmm. uh, is that uh, you can learn to level out your glucose because spikes in glucose lead to spikes in insulin. And as we talked about, insulin has more effects on the body than just monitoring and uh, regulating glucose. Mm -hmm. And some of the other things that have to do with our lipogenesis, which is creation of fat, Mm -hmm. has to do with uh, the uh, regulation of amino acids, which is our proteins. Yeah. Uh, and in particular, high insulin or hyperinsulinemia has been associated with multiple cancers. Mm -hmm. So for people who keep getting these high spikes of insulin, I think that that it may be one of the reasons that uh, they can be more prone to cancers. Yeah, yeah. So getting this feedback on a continuous basis helps you regulate. And so your blood sugars are just nice and calm and, and within this nice wave range instead of way up, way down, way up, way down, way up, way down. Yeah. Alcohol consumption affects the blood sugar as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Al alcohol is a sugar. Yeah. People don't, I don't know if people understand that, but alcohol is a sugar. Yeah. And so... Uh, that's why there's calories in, in alcohol, whether it's wine or, or liquor. Yes. Anything else that we want to say about the glucose monitoring system? So I think that the glucose monitoring is wonderful in the sense that, again, it provides you very, very quick feedback. And it also allows you to make dietary choices that are um, uh, better for your health. And you can learn things like uh, I do promote to people to eat uh, some servings of uh, non-starchy vegetables before you eat your meal. So that would mean like what I do on a regular basis is I eat a green leafy vegetable salad. Okay. okay? And, uh, and, uh, and so that then as it's being absorbed and then you follow that with the other foods that, uh, mitigates uh, the spikes in your blood sugar because you're adding, uh, some food in there with some fiber 
Beans, uh, for example, are another are a great choice because they have so much fiber. So high, eating some high fiber foods also help uh, mitigate those uh, spikes in, in blood sugar. Awesome. I'm so glad you said that. And I do, uh, I have an episode on fiber and, uh, and that's, I mean, almost any condition we have could be helped by, could be improved by eating more fiber because it does, it regulates the blood sugar. It helps to detox the body. I mean, it's just miracle. Yeah. Um, I, I say I'm a beans and greens guy. Because uh, those two particular food groups have so many beneficial effects on the body. Yes, yes. And then if you're eating whole foods, most likely the food you're eating has fiber. The problem with the processed foods is we take the fiber away and then we add a bunch of preservatives and additives and other things that make us Sugar and salt and oil. Yeah. Okay. We talked about hemoglobin A1C, and then we talked about uh, continuous glucose monitoring. And by the way, if you're interested in seeing reviews or leaving a review, simply go to healthylifestylesolutions.org and go to the tab that's titled reviews, click on it. You'll see a bunch of reviews. And also you have the option of leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. I I agree. I said this on a previous uh, episode that uh, I would love to hear from you guys um, on on multiple fronts. Number one, are we giving you information that's valuable? Uh, Number two, uh, if there's questions that we're not answering, uh, go ahead and and ask. And Mm -hmm. we would love to uh, uh, answer your questions because we're speaking a narrative here and having a conversation, but we may not uh, meet all of your needs in that conversation. If there's something you want to know, reach out and we will certainly try to address it. Yep. Anything else before we wrap up? No. Once again, thank you, Dr. Riz, for joining us. It was a a lot of fun. Thank you for having me.